Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, human beings, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. Each year, as many as 17,000 children are diagnosed with cancer, and the associated costs can be astronomical and more than twice as expensive than adult cancer stays. That's why Christopher Haven, a Boston-based nonprofit, works to provide temporary, low-cost housing for pediatric cancer patients and their families while receiving treatments at Boston and now Atlanta hospitals. My guest today, Joyce Duval, has more than 20 years of experience working with nonprofits, but it was Christopher's Haven that drew her in wholeheartedly. Beginning as an assistant with conceptual development and fundraising, she became devoted to the organization's mission on a full-time basis and is now its executive director. Joyce, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Well, it's great to have you on the show. Off air, I was just commenting on how patient you are, how patient you must be. You've had this incredible background in spending and devoting most of your professional career towards working with nonprofits, with children in particular. What drew you to Christopher's Haven? And can you just talk a little bit about what Christopher's Haven does, its founding and its purpose? I mean, I talked about it a little bit in the introduction, but maybe you can help provide a more accurate picture for us. Sure. It started in 2001 when a friend of ours had cancer and was on his third round of cancer and spent a lot of time in the hospitals and noticed that the kids that were in there, the parents didn't have any place to stay. Some of them were sleeping on the floor in the lobby. Some of them were sleeping in their cars because there just wasn't any place, especially in a city like Boston where it's so expensive. Cancer is expensive. A lot of people think, oh, well, the you know, insurance takes care of it and stuff, but things like housing and transportation is not covered and it's expensive. So he asked us if we would like to pull together a group of people and start this. And we said, yes. At the time, I didn't have any connection with cancer, really. But it seemed like an amazing thing that these kids were traveling from all over the world for this life-saving treatment, and they had to sleep in cars and on the floors of lobby hospitals. So that's how it started. And then it really developed over the years into something much more, much, much more than just uh, housing. Uh, We noticed that the kids would get really depressed, you know, of course, we have full apartments. And I think one of the most important things for the kids is that they can stay with their families. A lot of the other hospitality homes, it's one caretaker and one patient, and they're separated from their families. It's a difficult situation. So we really wanted to keep the whole family together as much as we could, as much as they were able to be together. So we got these apartments. And then we realized that these kids were only in treatment for an hour or two a day, and they were really scared and worried, and parents were doubly scared and worried. And so we wanted to support them. We wanted to lift their spirits and just try to make it a good, everybody laughs when you say a good experience because they're getting treated for cancer, but we did. We tried to make it a good experience. And we, so we provide Red Sox tickets and Celtics tickets. We have parties. I mean, there isn't a thing in the calendar that we don't celebrate. We have birthday parties. We celebrate their end of treatment. We have guests come in and surprise the kids, celebrities, or some of the sports fans. We bring in arts and crafts, puppet shows, magic shows, you name it. And it makes a huge, huge difference. The doctors have told us that the Christopher's Haven kids seem to respond to treatment better because they're so happy. We have 10 apartments and it's all like on this, pretty much on the same floor. And it's like a big dormitory. So like around three o'clock after all the treatments are done, the doors open up, kids start to play, parents start to talk and have fun and hang out and bond. I mean, they make such permanent best friends at the staying there because it stays to be two months to four months and they get very, very close, you know, to be away from home. And then they make this their home. They make everybody that's there, their family. Really, they people don't believe me when I say this, but a lot of them say they hate to leave. It's like being at home and comfortable because they're around people that they can talk to that know how they're feeling. I mean, somebody that isn't going through cancer with their child, as much as you think you understand it, you don't. 
What is a typical stay? I know it's different. It's situational depending on the patient and the treatment. Mm -hmm. It's usually six to eight weeks. That's just for the proton radiation. And then a lot of times they'll stay for some chemo or they'll stay for other treatments. It depends. Everybody's treatments are different. Some are more difficult than others. And they're not, they don't all get radiated. It's not all proton. We have cancer patients from um, all over the city that are in for different long-term treatments. But generally, they say two to three months, I would say. Are the apartments open only to folks who have financial need or is it a combination? Absolutely. It's need only. First come, first serve, need only. Got it. We'll get a call from a social worker at the hospital saying this family has to have this treatment right away. Can you get them in? And we don't ask about their financial needs. We have had families stay with us that have less than zero money and are in really desperate situations. And we help them in a lot of ways too. But we also have families that can afford it. They could probably afford staying at the Four Seasons, but they stay with us because of what we give them, the camaraderie, not feeling alone in a city, having a place for the kids to be and play and that kind of thing. And usually those families are pretty generous with their donations. But no, we don't ask about that. We've had families come in where they haven't had a nickel to their name. We've had to find them food and winter clothing. And, you know, and so we do whatever we can. And these are all families that are local to Boston? No, no. No, they're from all over the country then? All over the world. The only continent we haven't had somebody from is Antarctica. Wow. And they're getting treatment at Mass General? Generally, yes. Because we're directly across the street, but we've had them at Children's and Dana-Farber as well. They're the only other two that handle pediatric cancer. So if we have room, you know, anybody that is getting treated for pediatric cancer can certainly stay. How did you secure the apartments and how did you raise money initially to get this off the ground? Because I mean, that's it's a huge capital lift as well as operationally, I can only imagine how difficult it is to secure the space, especially space across the street from the hospital. It was difficult. I mean, we beg, barred and steal anything we could. You know, we would just, we had little fundraisers that made a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. We got a couple of decent donations that got us started a little bit. Mass General actually helped us in the beginning a little bit. And as soon as we got the first apartment and people saw what we were doing, we just started doing fundraisers and making calls and applying for grants. And the last two apartments that we got were funded by Robert Kraft, Patriots owner. We've come a long way. We actually have our best friend in the whole world is Chris Evans. We're doing okay financially, even after COVID, because of him. Chris Evans, the actor. And how did he get involved with the charity? I dragged him in. <laughs> he went to school with my kids. I knew him in high school. I know his mother, which is my secret weapon, his mother. <laughs> That's really funny. I ran into him at a film festival and it was like, hey, how are you? You know, the whole thing. And I said, hey, I got this little charity I'm doing. You want to help out? And he said, anything you want. And this was, I think, right after his first Captain America movie. And so he was well known, but he wasn't who he is today. And I don't know if he knew what he was getting into, but I got him involved and he hasn't left us or said no to just about anything I've ever asked him for. He's been a real lifesaver for us. Wow, that's incredible. And are these apartments rented or are they owned? No, they're rented. We looked into buying things and it was just so, so expensive. And when you rent an apartment, then you have your maintenance taken care of. We were doing that in Atlanta too. Everybody wants us to buy something. I just love renting it because it's the best way to go for us. So I'm a homeowner and I can't wait to rent. (laughs) Once my youngest is out... (laughs) I just, I cannot wait to rent. I remember like saying, I can't wait to own. And I'm like, let it be someone else's problem. But I totally get what you're saying. It makes a lot more sense. When did you guys open in Atlanta? Pretty recently, right? Like last week. (laughs) Seriously? Yeah. My husband's from Atlanta. We lived in Boston for the whole 40 years of our marriage, just about. And I grew up there. And so we just decided to duck out of the winters when he was starting to retire. We moved down here. And it was funny, we were coming out of church one day in, in Atlanta. We looked up and we 
saw this gigantic billboard that said Proton Center coming to Atlanta. I was like, oh my gosh, it's a sign from God. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just sent a little note off to them. And when they were ready, they were very excited to have us there because the woman that runs the pediatric department actually trained in Boston at MGH under a doctor that is one of our favorite doctors and on our board. So she knew Christopher's Haven really well and she was really excited. So we started, we've gotten so much support from the city. It's just been amazing. I heard that the name Christopher's Haven is actually made up. Is that true? Yes. When we were first getting started, we were involved with a lot of different kids, just sort of visiting them and taking care of them and mentoring them and that kind of thing. And and we didn't want to pick a name of anybody we actually knew. And so we came up with just Christopher's Haven. I don't even know who came up with that idea, but it was just a name that was a nice name. You didn't go through like this crazy brainstorming process where you asked for help from experts in branding and whatnot. Believe me when I tell you there were no experts involved in getting Christmas Haven started. We had no idea what we were doing. So we just came up with this name and it was firstly we came up with Christopher's house and apparently there was another Christopher's house not too far from us. They got real mad when we were going to name ourselves Christopher's house so they changed it to Christopher's Haven. I mean it sounds like you have a bit of a template now and you can potentially use this template to scale into other cities as well or is it more opportunistic that you saw that? That's always been our dream. We really are proud of what we do. We see the result, how the families respond and the kids respond. And it's just been our dream to be able to spread that. We've had a lot of interest from Houston and from LA. So as soon as we get this whole template done and set up here for the expansion, we didn't really know how the organization was going to look. I mentioned that my husband was retired. He's a workaholic. was a successful businessman. And when he got down here and had nothing to do, he was kind of going crazy. He has been the one that has jumped in and helped me so much with getting this set up. I couldn't have done it without him. His price is right. <laughs> so <laughs> Exactly. We wouldn't be up without him. So speaking of price, just I think it's important for our listeners to understand, what would a typical stay cost somebody if they didn't have Christopher's Haven? Yeah. What does a hotel cost in Boston? <laughs> so, so what I'm thinking is it's a hotel in Boston for six to eight weeks, which can run in the tens of thousands of dollars, depending on where you're staying. And obviously you want this place to be comfortable because you have a child who is going through reactions and symptoms associated with the treatment, not just with the disease itself. And that's really hard. Yeah, it's awful. In the beginning, when if we only had a couple of apartments and there were people that, you know, were coming and we were, were waiting to get into Christopher's Haven and they would stay at the, I think it was a La Quinta or something in Somerville. And it was just, it was horrible, but they gave them a price. And, you know, that way then they have to take public transportation with an immune compromised child. And it's also very depressing being in one room with a couple of kids and your whole family for any length of time. So it just doesn't work. We actually had one girl that we didn't have room for and they stayed in a hotel and she was 10 years old and her treatment didn't work. It just didn't take. She was very depressed. She just had a really terrible experience. So when she came back to try it again, we had room for them and they stayed there and she became a very active member of Christopher's Haven. She was down in our common area. We call it the loft. She was down there all the time playing and having fun. And the doctor said, you know, this time the treatment took perfectly and she's going to be okay. And the only thing they could contribute it to was that her spirits were high. She had a much more positive attitude and it, it did work. And so that's our goal is to keep them happy. And also a really 
really big part of this is not just the kids, but I mean, the, the ones that really suffer through this are the parents. Watching what they go through is just horrific. You know, we try and I love going in there in the evening and there'll be a group of people sitting around drinking wine, just talking and sometimes laughing, sometimes crying, but they're together. And that's been a big part of it for us is just having people get together and being able to share. Well, and I know that you have this background where you've worked quite extensively with children in nonprofit settings over the years. But my guess is that you have a team of professionals and experts who are also helping you. (laughs) You're laughing now. No, because I mean, there's got to be people who patient advocates who can provide therapy and support and guidance, not just for the parents, but for the children. So are you at the center of that as well? Or is it purely housing and comfort and warmth and all that gets taken care of by the medical staff? We're not social workers and we're not therapists and we don't pretend to be. And what I I was laughing about is this team you're talking about. I have these two things I'm running and there's only two and a half of us. That's our team, two and a half people. The woman that is our family service manager was actually, had stayed with us. Her son had a brain tumor and her value to these families is just unbelievable because she really gets it. And she has a great warmth and love for them. And that really comes across. I'm trying to find somebody in Atlanta that has that same quality with the families that they feel like they can really relate to and come to her. And we can't afford to hire anybody right now, but soon we will. And that's really important. We don't actually even ask the doctors if they come over to visit to not wear their coats. It's intimidating and it sends a different type of message, right? Yeah. We don't want anything medical in Christopher's Haven. It's all just family. We are family. We take care of them if they need a shoulder to cry on or somebody to make them laugh, or we do not do any of that. Most of the hospitals have phenomenal support for things like that. Our mission is to keep their spirits up and to give them a place, a comfortable, safe place to live, which is really important. I've seen some of the other hospitality homes and I wouldn't want to be there. Some of them, some of them are beautiful, but you know, we want to make sure that it's a full apartment, fully furnished, fully stocked with, you know, TVs and they can close the door and be a family in a little home, or they can open up the doors and join the group if they want to. And we were the only ones that were able to stay open through COVID because they had their own apartments and they could quarantine. Right. I was going to ask you about that. That's interesting. I imagine that that was still kind of a scary time when you're trying to figure all that out because cancer doesn't wait for COVID. These kids need to get treated and they need a place to stay and a safe place to stay. And I know they're immunocompromised, which makes it more complicated, but it sounds like you're able to find workarounds. Yeah. Like all of us, it was kind of sad because our big thing is the loft where people get together and they couldn't do that. But they were able to stay together in their own apartments. And then we did a lot of virtual things. We did it actually, one of the first virtual things we did was really funny. And we invited all of the Christmas Haven families around the country to do it. And they all joined in. We did a Zoom with a dance party. These professional young women come in and do this little dance thing. And we Zoomed, everybody was dancing, all the parents. And they tried to get me to do it. And I lasted about 30 seconds until I saw how old everybody was and (laughs) how good they were. And we just had a dance party, you know, and we've had other things, bingo with all the families. We've had storytelling where uh, an author will read a book. Katie, our family service manager, had got very creative with some of the arts and crafts. She would deliver little bags of supplies to each apartment and then get on a Zoom and they'd do arts and crafts together. So we were able to do it, some of it, but not like before COVID. It sounds like there's a lot of demand, unfortunately, in many ways for the services. And I mean, how do people find out about Christopher's Haven? Is it usually through Mass General and through care teams? Yeah. 
a lot of different ways. One of them is Mass General, and they, they're funny. They told us they, they won't put our name on their website because they want to keep us to themselves. <laughs> they they want to give us, they want to use us for their special patients they think need us the most. Now we're getting a lot of word of mouth, and we're getting a lot from the other hospitals too, the social workers. But it's, uh, unfortunately, it's word of mouth. And some people that have friends whose children have gotten cancer, they, they told them to go to Christopher's Haven, and we take them in and do what we can for them. Are there plans to expand even inside of Boston? I know you have a very strong presence there, or are you pretty much capped out there and you're looking to expand like you are in Atlanta and Houston and other cities? I think we're capped out. We're really full and there's a waiting list now, which is sad, but I think a lot of that is because of COVID. Um, once the other Ronald McDonald's and different things open up again, it'll get back to a normal thing. And there's only so many patients that the Proton Center can take. It's open to all cancer patients. So I think we're capped out, is my personal opinion. The Proton Center down here in Atlanta is probably three times as big as the one in Boston. So I don't know what that will mean for our size here. If we need more apartments down here, or they're just getting started now. They've only been taking patients for a year here. So we'll have to see about that. I think you kind of know when it's when you have your fill. And I would love to see one in Houston and one in LA and different places too. So Boston, I think we're capped right now. How are you raising money? Do you have recurring donors? Is it through grants? I mean, when I talk to folks who run nonprofits like you of all sizes, I mean, more than half their time is spent raising money. Way more than half. That's all I do. Yeah, we have grants that we apply for. We have some regular foundations and organizations in Boston that do help us out. We have what well, we used to have, uh, our annual fashion show, which we haven't had. We have a stand-up paddleboard event, which we had virtual a virtual stand-up paddleboard event last year, which was interesting, and golf tournaments that people put on for us. But the only one that we run is the fashion show, which isn't a fashion show anymore now. This year, it's our 20th anniversary virtual dinner party. And so everybody's going to have a, 10 people at their house. And we'll do a virtual thing. We've got some comedians coming to jazz it up a bit. And, you know, you make do with COVID. A lot of donors have stood with us over the years, you know, especially Chris Evans. He's, you know, he's a major, major guy. And I'll tell you, we lost a bunch of them with COVID. Ones that, whose businesses were affected, who were great friends, but COVID did turn a lot of, and, and a lot of the funds that are available for nonprofits now are going to either COVID support and help or some of the other recent needs, the Black Lives Matter movement. And you know all these causes are fantastic, but it leaves the nonprofits that are there year after year kind of a little high and dry. It happened to us in Boston with the Boston Marathon bombing. Every nonprofit in the city dried up because all the extra money was going towards supporting the families and the people that were injured. You know, that just happens every once in a while. Most of our stuff is private donations, I would say. Well, in that vein, I think a good place to end is for you to tell our listeners where they can donate and how they can donate. Is it easiest to just go to the website? Yes. We have for either Boston or Atlanta and specify where you want your money to go. There's a donate button on Christopher'sHaven.org, And that's where most people, we do, some people do still use checks. Uh, our address is on the website at one Emerson place. Great. Okay. So it's Christopher'sHaven.org. Correct. Awesome. Okay. Listen, Joyce, it's so lovely to have you on. I thank you for all that you've done, not just for Christopher's Haven, but just in general, because you're one of those very rare, very special people who've donated and devoted their entire life to helping others in various capacities. We need more people like you. And I appreciate you. And I'm sure others who are listening do as well. And I hope that everyone visits the website and also has a better appreciation for what these pediatric cancer patients and their families have been going through and how this can at least lift their spirits and give them a warm and comforting place to stay while they're undergoing treatment. So thanks again. Thank you very much for having me. 
This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quitkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of companies, organizations, and people who make it their mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing production team, including Lindsay Hand, Dara Cawthron, Julie Strickland, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show and sponsorship opportunities at brandonpurpose.com. Learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com.